Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 16th of September 2018. Our overseers in the 20th century talked a lot about the 21st century. They churned books out about it, for their own people, mind you, for those who are going to manage the 21st century, on techniques that they would have to use on the public, and were already using, in fact, in their elementary phases in some ways, to shape opinion, alter the mindsets of people, fragment societies, and, and destroy the norms, as they call it. The normal values had to be destroyed. Everything that, that used to make a nation a nation had to be eliminated too for a world of, well, for, for a world order, isn't it? And even today, you know, you'll find people who will laugh when you bring up the term world order, even though all history books and universities talk about them frequently. <laughs> there would be many world orders done through time. And we're still going through them today. The world order is always changing. Those who design and run the planet, basically, have to always change it and adapt it to the next stage, the next stage, the next stage. And as you adapt it, everybody and everything in it must adapt as well to the changes. So the century of change was to be the big one, the 21st century, where all that was had to be destroyed to bring in that which is new. And therefore, a form of chaos is always introduced deliberately, not with any difficulty really, because it's done so slickly and it's so well rehearsed, at least in the planning phases. And those in academia, higher academia, who are on board with it to take part in it, and there's think tanks above even that level, uh, with uh, even higher people, you might say, who plan this and help to work out any little problems they foresee might arise, and have all the contingency plans of how to deal with all the different kinds of problems too. They don't panic, they don't worry about things, And anything that that hits them out of left field, you might say, they have contingency plans again. And they'll say, how can we use this crisis to our advantage? And that's their policy, basically, and their their technique of control. Order out of chaos is not new. It's very, very old, indeed. And you'll find that chaos is necessary. If you rule a planet... And there, are, there definitely is a form of uh, governance, you might call it, or government, in fact, on running the planet. If you run the planet, you have to bring in the chaos and the turmoil and point to the, the fallout from the turmoil, from all the things that they're bringing to be in the world, the conflicts, so that we're at least aware of them, that the general public have to be at least aware of them. They might not know that it's all been done deliberately by the system which they think is there to serve them. And they never catch on to the techniques that are being used upon themselves, in fact. They're supposed to get emotional responses to everything that's happening that makes no sense to them. For instance, why would you go to war with a group of countries and you would publish the countries you wanted to eliminate, basically, in the 1990s, and then spend years up until the present time going through the Middle East and haven't finished yet. And have some other countries take it apart from that too. And the agenda continues, regardless of the party that pretends to, to be ruling the, the countries. You see. Exactly what 
Jefferson warned about when you see the same agendas continuing between the changes in the houses you meant parliaments or, or governments or Congress. Same thing. They know you're under tyranny, you said. What you're given between presidents in the U.S., for instance, is l- today it's just soaps, isn't it? Soap operas. Continuous soap operas. It's, it's, it's astonishing. It's, you'd have to really believe in soap operas, television soap operas, and watch an awful lot of them to fall for this, what they, what they call news today. It, it truly is soaps. Every country is the same, by the way. You can see the switch has been, you know, flipped all at once across the world pretty well. And they go into this new phase of what they call, what they call news. And the public are adapting to it. They believe, most of them believe, well, there's lots of information there, but they don't realize it's not really news anymore. Some aging comedian in his 70s is not world news. But that's what they're giving you. Things like that. Rubbish. Utter rubbish. And not so long ago, they had to put on a show at least of what your government was up to with regards to, to bills and laws and all the rest of it and taxations. Have you noticed you're getting fed very little about what they're up to these days? Instead, you're given this soap opera drama, not just in the US or in Canada even, but elsewhere in the world. And all rights have been lost since 9-11 happened, across the world too. And that, that in itself is astonishing, isn't it? There are books upon books upon books written about the need to stop alliances being formed between nations. The U.S. knew that part of the problem with Europe at the time, when they are forming the United States, was all these treaties that they had with each other to go to war together against whatever enemy they chose. And so uh, it was just too easy for a particular power to bring everybody else into the the conflict. And that was true rape up until World War II, in fact. In fact, they very hurriedly made treaties at the last moment so that they could get into World War II if one of them was attacked, supposedly. And it's awfully odd, too, that Britain used the excuse that Poland was being invaded by the Germans. Well, it, actually, the Soviets were going in at the same time, but they didn't mention them. And so Britain goes to war to fight the Germans, supposedly. And then at the Treaty of Yalta, Churchill and the rest of them, and Roosevelt, they, they gave over, when the war would end, they said that, that the Soviet Union could have Poland. Hmm the country that supposedly you went to stop being invaded. You, you hand over to the Soviet system. But we haven't stopped the treaties today. We really haven't. Through different leagues, it's not this League of Nations and so on, and United Nations, etc. You have all kinds of leagues. NATO is part of it too. NATO is actually the military wing of the United Nations today. And even NATO has nothing to do with where, where they've been going across the world bombing across the Middle East the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, again, for the Cold War, is meant to be for the Cold War against the Soviets. And they've used them in ev- everywhere across Africa and North Africa and the Middle East. It's just astonishing, isn't it? Or is it? 
When you're ruled by a system that's got nothing in common with what you're trained to believe it is, it will always seem a bit mystifying to you. Most folk never question it. Most folk never question any kind of authority, in fact. Why would authority be lying to you? When it comes to treaties, etc., and pull you into wars, or even even into well, grand theft is what it really is, because war is always grand theft eventually. There's always the, those that win. Incredible wealth that comes out of wars for those who are involved in the military-industrial complex side of it, and the banking system that lends to all, all sides. So therefore, the wars continue all the time. Now today, they're more covert in a sense in the Western world. But it's total culture war. They've been at war with the culture for before I was born, right up to the present time. And these are real wars. These are planned wars by experts, behaviorists, neuroscientists, psychologists, etc., etc. And I won't go into all because I've been through it so many times before. But the fact is we're run by these people. And they decide what you're going to think, how you're going to think, how you'll react to certain topics, how, how you'll even blush or, or, or cringe at, at certain words, trigger words that you're given. It's very precise. It's very easy to do, too. And how you're supposed to stand up for, your, again, your nation. Most of the time you're told you have no nation anymore. There's no, no boundaries. There's no borders. But when they want you to go to war, suddenly you're a nation again. And out comes a propaganda to make you proud, and there's the flags and all the rest of it. Do you realize how, how, how ridiculously idiotic it all seems? Which is it? Which is it? You either have nations with boundaries, because define a nation, right? Or, yet, or you don't have them. Which one is it that you want to believe in? And I've lived through years and years of them denying we even had nations. All they talked about was globalism for years and years. Then 9-11 happened, and they're back to having nations for a little while to get recruits up for the militaries, etc. And they take away all your rights and freedoms because we all belong to a kind of, again, a kind of a treaty organization. We all joined a treaty organization. So collectively, we all go into anti-terrorist mode and lose all our rights and freedoms. And we're all spied upon. And the public have swallowed it because of the presentation. I remember when you had agitprop, they called it, agitation propaganda, that not just the communists use, many other organizations use it today, in fact. They're all extensions of it. But the idea was to agitate and agitate in the Western so-called capitalist countries. And at that time, capitalism or capitalist countries meant that those with the big, big bank accounts and big systems of money and the big multinationals ran the countries, which was true, hasn't changed. But you also find behind <laughs> the big Soviet system, they were churning out their multimillionaires under this communist system. As long as you could put it through with lawyers, hmm? lawyers are awfully good at reinterpreting everything. They, they were not making money off the backs of the workers. And I can remember when the wall fell, supposedly, in Berlin. It's all planned that way, long before. And in the newspapers at the time, at least, at least they did have real reporters who went across to different countries and reported and did investigations. 
And they had photographs of some of these characters fleeing the Soviet system with their little armed guards. Some of them had small armies, in fact, private armies, when it all fell down. And multimillionaires fled out and so on. They had made their money during this supposed equality, utopia, worker system of the Soviet Union. But that's a different story again. It ties in with it, though. It ties in with what I'm talking about. I remember giving a talk about all systems, all systems, really, where they start that way or not, they become fascist, where the government system is almost a front tool for the big corporations who run everything. We accept the articles. They churn out about... They're very blatant about the fact that big corporations and the CEOs of corporations and the Davos meeting and so on in Switzerland, all the biggies decide our fate. We don't elect any of these people. But you realize how the public go along, you know, and just accept things and accept things. And, well, these people are the big, big ones who, who decide the fate of nations by putting money in or withdrawing money out of nations for investments, etc., what do we have governments for? Who are the governments representing? It certainly is not you. But then it never was you. The century of change. Hmm? And folk think that it's just happening by itself. If you start a foundation, one of these big so-called non-profit, multi-million pound or dollar foundations, and they are tax-exempt, the whole thing, and they can invest and still be tax-exempt, go figure that one out. They run hundreds and thousands of non-governmental organizations. And if you're in some kind of protest group, I guarantee those at the head of your protest group are getting funding and direction from these big foundations. All of them. You're given a, a form of variety of things to protest. It doesn't matter who you protest. And you're being studied as you do it. They're always studying you. I can remember back in the 70s when major papers at the time in the UK were talking about, oh my goodness, they'd never seen so many police photographers photographing the crowds at some demonstration. And uh, that was then. That was just, that was just uh, you know, film cameras and so on. But they were, yeah, they, were, they were identifying everybody in the crowds back then. Because you have to be studied. To have power today, unlimited power and unlimited financing from your tax money, to use on the public, then you must know who everybody is and what they're up to and have them categorized. And Jack's a lull at the time, in the 1950s or 60s, I think it was, in the 60s, he, he talked about that period of time when Kardec systems, there was like that kind of Kardec system that would go in a, a roundabout directory type system, a filing system. He said that they'd put out punch card systems that, that look red like computers almost, on everybody in uh, the Western world. It started with France, and everybody copied very quickly. And they had all your data. It wasn't just age, date of birth, and marital status, and so on. It was, it was what you, your hobbies were. It was all the stuff you'd never imagined. The, you see today, in fact, in computers. Well, back then, it was simply gathered by intelligence agencies, that put retirees and ex-civil servants in throughout the communities, and they would collect the local gossip. If you think that the Stasi system was unique in Eastern Germany, you'd better think again.
because Britain was way ahead of that for years and years and years. And your, your parents and grandparents probably never even knew it. But yeah, they had, they had people collecting data. And I've been through some of these things before in previous talks years ago. But they had, uh, they had uh, some of them are, are more well known with organizational heads of organizations that seem to have, uh, put it away, buildings everywhere, eh? And every little town and city and so on, and even country. And you can join them and get little freebies if you join them and little privileges, extra privileges if you join them. You also find they collect data on those around them. And it really shouldn't be a surprise to someone who who isn't completely brainwashed. Most folk are brainwashed. You don't blame them for being brainwashed. All weaponry, including brainwashing and, and psychological operations, is designed for the maximum effect on the majority of targets, you see. But there's all, even in biowarfare, there's always a certain amount of people that generally will have some kind of resistance to whatever they design. That's what they, they talk about, at least. That's why they're always working on things and multiple organisms, which can be released in warfare if they need it. They'll take out as many or all of them by put, releasing different kinds, a whole variety at once, to try to eliminate the fact that some survive. Particular types of biowarfare. But it's the same thing with, with the psychological warfare techniques too. It's designed to hit the average person and to work on them. And it works awfully well. Most folk are indoctrinated and brainwashed rather quickly. Jack Silala also talked about that. And that the, the subsequent propaganda for it to take and to work on them, they needed that initial, initial early propaganda indoctrination for the subsequent stuff to work at all. So there's a sequence to things and how you learn and how your mind is, is prepared for, for the future indoctrinations. Remember, indoctrination doesn't mean you're given any kind of truth. Education doesn't mean you're given any kind of truth either. You might get some. But education was always given to the general public for vastly different reasons than the ones you think. I've mentioned before about the terrible conditions. It was called the cesspool of Europe, Britain for, you know, the whole of the the, the 19th century at least, and before that too, because most countries were not as bad with their peasantry in reality as uh, London was. London, really, this city of London is a strange place, but again, it's not the only uh, little sovereign city in the world either, for that matter. And... England was ruled the same way as Scotland and other countries too, from London. And London is full of secret societies, a a tiered system of societies. They're all all related to each other, but it's a tiered system that covers every aspect of managing the power over the public and fleecing the public and using the public for wars and everything else, including what education you'll give them and what indoctrination into being fiercely patriotic, and so on, that they'll give you. These are all techniques that are well understood, very old, old techniques, very, very old indeed. And it works awfully well. But it's never changed, you understand, it's never ever changed. And even though people were brought up in utter, it's terrible, if you feel at all, a lot of folk are psychopathic today. You can be psychopathic in nature, through culture, 
without being a true psychopath. True psychopaths don't need the cultural changes to adopt to make them psychopathic. They're born that way. But you can also create a psychopathic society and culture by what you feed them for normality, really. And a lot of these reality shows now that we're actually training the public to, to, to actually exploit each other in a sense, winners and losers, and then to, to praise the winners, no matter how devious the techniques that they use to win in the first place over other people. And you see it all around you today as morality goes down the tubes, and everyone's being studied as this happens constantly. Back in the 90s, remember, talking about the chimeras that they, they talked about possibly creating in the future, different types of animals, mixing them together through genetic manipulation. And then they went into really the transhumanist idea as well, where they could create different kinds of humans. And these are top science books and taught at university. And different kinds of humans that they could create for specific purposes, such as people who could live underwater to an extent, at least go down deep without diving suits and so on, to repair the oil rigs that have the long, long uh, pylons into the, into the seabed. Things like that. Matter-of-factly, too. Very old idea. Nothing new about it. And back then, too, I also said, on this show was on, and this is the 90s, but how could they possibly make this happen? And get text, well, look what's happening. The whole push, and I said this at the time, towards different forms of uh, humanity, put it that way, was all designed, and different male, female, and everything else, would be designed to muddy the waters. To get change happening, you've got to change the fixed dogma of how you perceive things. You, you take over the perceptions, it's called perception management, and you instill new perceptions into the people through, again, often through fiction and movies and plays and dramas and television, things like that. And eventually you can start bringing things forth with new normals until a child growing up, for instance, today would think that really what used to be called normal people used to be called not so long ago, up until not so long ago, is obsolete. And the opposite is true today, and that's all normal. If you were to look at the media, for instance, perception management, again, it can give you false ideas of what is. And it's also also changed children very quickly, because children will adopt new policies, new techniques of of how it was perceived to be trendy or or powerful even, and they'll they'll jump on the bandwagon. And, and allow things that to be done to them that it shouldn't be done at all. These are all proven techniques. But I talked about this in the 90s. And sure enough, we're seeing it today as they go into the, the transhumanist, you know, step by step into the transhumanist agenda. And you have different bigwigs again, actually buying, <laughs> supposedly. And you really, you really have to check everything out so carefully to see if you're being had with some of the stories that are put out there. But they do have the bigwigs, some of the bigwigs. They're actually buying blood to be put into them, not drinking it, but to be uh, IV'd into them, of younger people with, with younger blood cells and platelets and all the rest of it. They give them that kicker boost. And it won't stop there, as you know. 
it certainly will not stop there. It never does, does it? It's very much like what was known to happen. We knew it would happen when they brought in euthanasia, first in, I think, Belgium or, or Holland. And, uh, and sure enough, in no time at all, they expanded it to say, well, even folk who are depressed could take this euthanasia and die and kill themselves. And that's okay. We'll, we'll kill them. State, the state will do it for them. So a bit of depression, you're down a little bit and you just say, okay, then on you go. And that was it, eh? And I'm sure, mind you, they'll use your organs and sell them off too because you have to understand the system you're living in is based on, on money and economy and making profits for select groups. And it's big, big business and, of course, in harvesting organs. You, you know, anything that you talk about, you can go in, you can really go into the subject for hours just alone on each subject, by the way. I mean, the organ industry, and I won't go into it because I, I don't even want to go into it, but the fact is, it's a massive, massive, not just multi-million, but it's actually a billion over the, over the whole planet, dollar industry per year, you know. And getting back to Holland, so they start off euthanasia, and then they start saying, okay, if you're a bit depressed, then you can kill yourself. And if you're young, I've no doubt at all, they will definitely take the organs, I've done, no doubt about that at all. But then they start killing off elderly as well. So you have to be completely functional, that's called valid. You must be valid in society. If you become invalid and invalid, then your, your days are over, you see. And you better either look out for yourself if you can, and if you can, have someone who will look out for you. An advocate, a legal advocate, honestly. It's that bad today. And all the nudge units I've gone into two in the last two or three weeks that work internationally now, top people from academia and think tanks, given the right and the power, the right and the power by your governments to nudge you along the, the right ways of thinking, the right ways of doing, and even the right ways of allowing yourself to die. Hmm? And even telling and nudging the, the doctors not to prescribe antibiotics to you. <laughs> it's quite amazing to see it all happen, isn't it? And as they're doing that, the same characters, I'm sure, some of them at least, some of them I actually know, are they're trying all these, they want this life extension for themselves, and they want to avoid senility and old age problems. Mind you, I'm sure a lot of them, a lot of them in the right families never had the vaccinations you all had, at least the same batches. And the badges, by the way, I used to wonder why. They really are. I asked the questions when I was a child. Because the badges of vaccines are labelled. And remember, too, in a national health type system, they, they know the badges are sent to different parts of the country. And of course they're studying. <laughs> they're studying what happens to the people and the children as they grow up, etc. Of course they are. Charles Fort wasn't that daft, you know. He said, he said, we're, we're farmed. Yeah. But as I say, most folk don't know. They think, they think, because they've been brainwashed to think that everything was just stumbling along down through time and that they're on the cutting edge of everything, even the technology that they're given. Even though the technology we're given today really is antique stuff. But it's only important that you believe it is the cutting edge. It really is quite something. How we're, how we're trained and trained and trained And the media today I mean I've been looking all week for anything at all That resembled news And as I say retiring uh, Of geriatric 
comedians, whatever they're doing, or, or somebody who's 70 odd years old as a singer back in the 60s, uh, that's whatever they're talking about, or it's irrelevant, it's rubbish, it's, it's nonsense. It's not world class news. But that's, what, that's all you're getting today. What they do make sure you get to, mind you, is the disassociative process of giving you news where your mind can't suss out the reasons for it. For instance, why would you go across the Middle East having wars, bombing countries in the Stone Age, a lot of them, finance so-called terrorist groups? And this is all, this is not conspiracy. This is all exposed stuff, even from the CFR, who said that this group, calling themselves ISIS at the time, might be their best ally against uh, Assad. And of course they were funding these groups and training them, etc. All parts of Al-Qaeda, really. We live through all this thing. The public don't get to vote on anything that concerns them. And then the, then the blowback, which was designed this way as well, by the way, of armies of them coming across Europe. You saw them on video. Armies of them. Young guys. From these countries. And then you end up getting what they didn't have before, which is what? The so-called terrorist attacks. And so the average person who really thinks that their government's there to protect them, I don't know why, because there's no evidence to that, but they've been brainwashed to think that. They, they, they almost go into um, a psychotic episode trying to figure out why they're supposed to live with people knifing them, for instance, in London. And it's, it's becoming more and more prevalent. And, and they know where the countries, the people come from. They know it. Why is it allowed to happen? Well, now you do have a problem, right? And this further justifies why you must have armed police with machine guns in London, for instance, in the city of London and so on. They create the problem to, to, so that they can try and justify the fact they've taken their rights away from all the publics everywhere. And that's why they do it. They always wanted to bring in a system where you simply jump and do what you're told. I remember reading an article, and I read it on here at the time, where the head of the Green Party for Britain had said, she said that uh, it, it was so wonderful if we could bring the blitz kind of system back that they had during World War II in London, where people obeyed and, and did what they were told. Even though they were getting bombed, they all worked together and shared things. They're talking about the common folk, you know. And they were all rat- and rationed, and they didn't complain, and... They didn't rebel or overthrow their governments. And they would live in austerity. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just bring that back and get them to do the same again without the war, you see? Well, they've given you it, haven't they? Do what you're told, obey and so on, because we've got terrorism everywhere. That's what they tell you. We've got terrorism, so obey, obey, and accept a war situation. You're in a war situation. When you've got policemen, you didn't even have policemen in World War Two with machine guns. But now you do. And getting back to the old Soviet system, well, they said, you know, agitprop. The whole idea was, if they could get the countries, agitate within Britain, say, enough and get the people to rebel, literally overthrow their governments. That was the idea behind it. And they even said, the Marxist says, don't feed the poor, don't help the poor, make it worse and worse, the situation's worse, until everybody has to rebel. That was the whole idea. So they wanted to abolish all charities, the communist system. 
Anything that would help poor disadvantage, dis- disban it all, make it and make it worse and worse and worse, and the people would have to overthrow. And when the government came out with force to defend itself, you'd point to the force and say, "Look at this tyranny," which would exacerbate it again. Well, hey, look at it today. You have no rights. You've been told to accept by your so-called publics. If you really believe in governments, your public servants say, "Well, joke that is." That they have to watch y'all like like crazy and monitor y'all and sell all your information off to to each other, etc. And as they're doing it to keep y'all safe, because it's, it's it's like a war situation, this terrorism business. But even though you, you haven't got bombs falling out the out the sky on you, and you accept it, and the average person is in this this literally shell shocked. Disassociative state is why is a government going across these countries and bombing them all, making people furious, and then bringing lots of them in to your countries where they're not going to be happy campers after what you've done to them? And then you watch the fallout there. It doesn't make sense. Well, it's meant to put you into a dissociative state of anxiety where logic is not working. It's a, it's a well-known psychological warfare technique. Put them into a state where logic is supposed to work, take it away, and yet pretend it's still a sane system. And the person will become, well, they won't trust their own judgments anymore. They'll just do what they're told. And they do, don't they? They'll, they'll say, well, Occam's razor, you know, the, it's not conspiracy. It's uh, the simplest answer is straight from straight A to Z. That's generally the, 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 the real one. Well, guess what? It's not. The ones they tell you is not the reasons for things happening, the official reasons. It's not. Of course it's not. Years ago, they put out documentaries about Iraq, for instance. And each time they go into war, and our country, our peacekeepers are at war, you see, <laughs> our peacekeepers, uh, and have been for a long time with these designated countries on the list. The same list that Mr. the General Clark talked about in Democracy Now! And we're still going, going after them. But the thing is, they're being studied. Everything is constantly studied. I can remember reading... The articles where the military admitted they were using anthropologists, they were recruiting them into the army to go in with them to these countries to use the anthropologists to advise them on tactics against the people. If you understand the culture and so on, and the way they react to certain problems and what they're likely to do and what they're likely to, how they're likely to counter certain problems and deal with them and resolve them, then you could beat your enemy. That's, what, that's the idea behind it. But what they also did... The British and the, and the French, and, or anybody else for that matter, they're given these little handheld units, and you would see them going in the streets. And everybody in these places, they're starving pretty well. If you what, you've destroyed their infrastructure, you've destroyed their capabilities to feed themselves in the factories for flour and all the rest of it. And so, the, what choice did they have? Well, to, to, to get their little supplies and their food to feed themselves, you take their iris scans and their name and their fingerprints, and you would see them doing this, these little machines, very quick, boom, 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 boom. Whole nations have been done like that. And there's nobody coming in. There's nobody coming in to, to the Western countries that they don't know who they are. 
They might tell the public that, but they know who everybody is. Yeah, they know. The best of it is they're doing the same with their domestic populations too. Well, you don't want your computer to be hacked or your phone to be You can use your thumbprint on this. And the next version, well, you can get your iris scan as well. Hmm? Now they'll go to the next level after that, and that'll be retinal scan too. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> it's wonderful. Isn't it? So, no one is really free in this system. And it's an old system. And they use professionals. And use your money by the billions to pay these professionals to study you and collect data and so on. It's unlimited. The massive amounts of think tanks that work on all of us. And there's nothing new about it. Whatever's happening today was planned long before I was born. Long before it. The goal of tyrants is always to use nationalistic jingoism, which is emotional, you see. It works on a very primal basis. An instinct we all have, basically. Flags or symbols or even songs or brass bands, as Bertrand Russell said, they're more effective than speeches. It's quite easy to manipulate the people to obey and to go along, even go off and fight, especially young guys. Now they've got young girls to do. And young girls now, they've been watching warrior princesses now for the last 20-odd years. It's no surprise to me that the article is about what they want to be in many different respects. They all come from these movies. There's, there's never a puzzle anywhere as to why things happen. There really isn't. There's no big question mark there at all. One of the many books I mentioned before is about the British Empire. The British Empire, remember, with Lord Rothschild working with Cecil Rhodes to help set up this, this British... They already had an empire system. But to really solidify it into a true, long-lasting empire, that was the whole idea of it, and to collect and, and put their own guys in charge of all mineral, gold, diamond, and, and so on resources, eventually it'd be oil too, for that matter, across the world. And they also teamed up with the Lord Alfred Milner Group and the Round Table Societies and so on. They, they created this, this organization. And the British Empire was to be the embryo for a world order. I even had a cop say to me, you know, laugh at me, you know, when he arrived here by, on some, I don't know, pretext. But he kind of jokingly said about, how about world order? And I said, well, what, which one are you talking about? I reeled off a bunch of world orders. I said, it's taught in universities and lots of books. Kissinger's talked about the world order and everybody else has talked about world orders because the world order is what it is. And even the balance of power of the Cold War was a world order, as they called it. That was the state of affairs at the time. But the British Empire system literally has this organization where people in government, in civil service and out of government, and who are in big business, all professionals and so on, the very one that Carl Quigley talked about in the U.S. was called the Council on Foreign Relations. Although it didn't used to be called that, it used to be called pretty well American Institute for International Affairs. After the parent one in Britain, which is still the Royal Institute for International Affairs, and also have the European Institute for International Affairs, it's all the same organisation, by the way. Unelected people who have world meetings and who plan the future, always. And one of the books I have from, I've got lots of the books, actually, 
is one that was printed, I think, 1939, talking about the British Commonwealth in the future. And, uh, no, it's 1938, actually, this one. And in it, they have all the well-known politicians of the time and who lasted well in the 60s, a lot of them, 1960s and 70s, like Sir Thomas Be- uh, Bevan, it should be, not Bavin, have it in the front page, but it's actually Bevan. And, uh, or ba- they do have Bavin and a Bevan here, by the way, yeah, that's right. But anyway, they go through the future and how they build a world system on this. And how wars would be handed too They even mentioned that, be, that the, the America might come into this coming war This, this coming war <laughs> And this is in the 30s, remember America might come into it uh, And I'd be very fortunate if, if Japan was to, <laughs> to attack the US And bring them into this coming war Before it happened eh? And it's quite And even talk about America's, uh, you know, different uh, had been coming closer and closer and closer to the, the British system, which is true, they were. That even the different ethnic groups in all different countries on board with all, they all have leaders. Whatever ethnic group you belong to, they have the leaders that work for this world organization. But they talk about that uh, in, here, in this book here, and it says, uh, in League of Nations, remember, it was before the United Nations, they talk about League of Nations, which they set up as private group. And they talk about a world organization getting set up and that the League of Nations would be a big factor in it and so on. But then you go into most favored nation status. This is for a free trade system that they would bring in eventually. But you would, So you would need catastrophes to make it happen. For instance, a, a European Union would be necessary, wouldn't it, for a free trade? It's not free trade, remember. It's only you can actually bypass trade with countries that won't join you. Very much like this old Star Trek system, which was about free trade, by the way. The bad guys were always ones who wouldn't join their free trade system. They wanted to stay sovereign and independent. But it says the most favoured nation, the status, and how they would make it work, etc., etc. But the coming wars, and they talked about that, and how to bring every other country on board. They talked about India was on board with them. They had their people set up in India at the time, South Africa. Uh, all across the planet, Australia, New Zealand, and so on and so on. But they, they talk about the chairman, the chairman of the, this particular meeting was Mr. Ernest Bevan, or Bevan, UK. And he was on the go, I think, in the 60s and 70s, Bevan. It says, to move a vote, so thanks to all who had cooperated in the arduous task of preparing for the conference. This, this, it was held in Australia that year. Mr. Bevan, in commending this vote to the conference, expressed particular thanks to the Australian Institute of International Affairs and the conference's host to the government of the New South Wales, it says, Australia, the Conference of Australia, and thanks to the Carnegie Corporation of New York and the Rhodes Trustees and to those who had generously offered hospitality to members of the conference or had placed services at its disposal. I think they also had money from the Rockefeller Foundation back then. Or Rockefeller businesses And as the conference said Mr. Bevan had met on the very edge of the abyss of war This is World War II coming up And it said that the seeds of every war Were sown in the settlement of the previous war So they said that There's no conspiracy theory They all knew that too Because their boys helped draft it all up And they were there 
as if the present crisis resulted in a careful stock-taking. Awfully important what they say, the way they say it. It's so casual, but it means so much. If the present crisis resulted in a careful stock-taking of attitudes and policies, its fears and despairs, and despair would not have been in vain. The world must come to a recognition of the fact that the size of a nation did not determine its value in the world. He believed that some way must be found for the political and economic integration of Europe without destroying cultural and national individuality. Now that's how they eventually, when the Europeans were told back in about the 70s, 80s actually, that they're going to blend them into national union. It was all secret up until then to the public. Uh, that they would always oh, still keep your culture values, which is all a big lie too, and the national individuality. So here's 1938, this was published for the meeting, but 1937, I think. So here they are talking about a world must come to recognize the fact the size of a nation didn't determine its value in the world, and it's something must be found for the political and economic integration of Europe. So, as I say, everything that happens in the world is planned uh, way, way before it comes into being, often a generation or even longer. But to the public, it must always appear to be happening at the time. Even, and and, the, and I, even that's only recently, and I, I, uh, I put them up on my site year, well, last year, I think it was, when they admitted that it was all done in secret, the, the building up of the system for the integration of Europe. And that meant loss of sovereignty. And by the way, this book is full of uh, speeches by all prominent people in all the different countries at the time who are a member of this organization, talking about the need to give up uh, their sovereignty. That was our goal. That's what they said. Hmm. And they even had the different rates of population transfer from different countries in uh, that they would accept in different countries. And even some of them would, would have to take another 30 years before the public could be worked on enough to be ready to accept them all. Incredible how, how they do it all. Eh? They, they tell you what they want, and they even have worked out pretty accurately when the first migrants from certain countries would be allowed to come in because it would take that long to soften the public up through cultural movies, fiction, whatever it happens to be, to have them to accept it all. It's, it's just quite, I mean, I'm talking about different groups, all different kinds of groups, including pretty well closing the, the borders uh, or, or the so-called dominions, as they called the British Empire, the dominion countries, closing them off from uh, continued immigration uh, into their own dominions. Mm-hmm, I'm telling you. And it is quite something to, to, to when you read it all. But again, I've read these things so many times to myself too. Because no one cares anymore. But it's, it's just too far out of their, their new normals. And they think that everything's happening today is just happening by itself. They do, don't they? For instance, here's, here's another one here too on page 212. It says a speaker. Now, because they call them speakers. They don't get, give most of their names. Some of them they will accept to give their names as they speak, as they give the speeches, but they're all listed in the back of the book. But it says, um, a speaker stressed the practical impossibility of surrender of national sovereignty in the near future. The fear was expressed that a rebuilt league of nations might be regarded as a further step in the encirclement of Germany. You see, they're, they're already doing that to Germany at that time and have been doing it for quite a long time. 
uh, because Germany was a powerhouse of, of manufacture, and it was putting every other country out, especially Britain. <laughs> and uh, th- that's one of the reasons, by the way, that they had the wars with them. There's no doubt about that at all, because I've got a lot of the old speeches from the 20s and 30s of uh, the high-ups in, uh, in Britain and other, other European countries about the fact they couldn't compete with the manufacturing of from Germany. And Germany, too, had policies, too, that were introduced to take care of the workers with pensions and things like that, way ahead of any other country at the time. Anyway, as his arguments were produced in favour of the rival conceptions of co- coercive and a moral force from the League of Nations, that became the United Nations, as I say. So you coerce them into it. Mind they do it with money too after wars. Wars are awfully handy for that too. When you fly in countries, you have, can have all these attachments and strings of attachments of, of conditions that they must uh, comply with to get loans out even to feed themselves. Very old technique. As I say, uh, even the upcoming war with Germany and even possibly what the one with um, Japan. Hmm. It's quite interesting. But again, only to people like myself nowadays, I suppose, and a few others. Most folk will prefer to choose to believe we're just stumbling down through time. And that these names that just appear in our, in our lives as, as ministers of that or congressmen in charge of whatever um, are really running things. Really. I see, we don't even get real news anymore. And the, public, the people don't, most of them I'm sure haven't really noticed. There's lots of data and uh, as far as film stars and things go or sports, that, to me that's not news. No. And I don't believe in f- film stars anyway. I mean, an actor is an actor. That's what they are, you know. Most of our countries today um, decided a long time ago to start paying actors and actresses a lot of money as opposed to what they used to get and to, to elevate their position way up high because they could, they could influence children and youngsters so profoundly uh, and it does it, they do it with the status fact and the richness fact attached to it. If they're just kept fairly poor, you don't think much of it, but you make them into this star quality and suddenly they've got authority to tell you how to behave and why don't you emulate them, etc. Hmm? Quite suddenly. And it's quite easy to do. And it's been done to your detriment. Now you have all kinds of factions of people. Divide, 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 divide. And it's much, much easier to control them all. And just put your own people in charge of each group and pay them well. And you can divert and, and diffuse any tension or anxiety into not waving banners and, and having authorized days of protest doesn't get you anywhere. It's not meant to, <laughs> but it does diffuse any problems. And it also gives them, the authorities, more chance to uh, identify who is who and also then to find out instantly pretty well your cluster's a friend, what makes you different, what makes you tick, what makes you upset about this, or did you just, you know, universities are, are just recruiting places really and sorting places to, to decide what group you should join. <laughs> and protest is just it's quite amazing, isn't it? Quite amazing. 
but then not really. That's how they you're, you're managed. Anyway, as I say, I I didn't want to put up many stories today because uh, reading the papers today is just is painful to me. Very painful experience, and lots of photographs is is not news to me. And and the trivia stories are. Ugh. It's like I, I mentioned it before Aldous Huxley talked about His experience into investigating Popular music And popular culture Through the movie industry He said he went to one movie And he saw Al Johnson and heard him singing Mammy And that was it Well that's what news is now Isn't it That's really what it is now there's nothing about really informing the public about anything that matters to the public for the public's benefit. Really. Mind you, at one time, as I say, the public at least knew who the owners of papers were, what their policies were, and their political beliefs were, and what they advocated. And so they weren't fooled so quite easily when it comes to an occasional authoritarian statement of what they should do or, or how they should behave or whatever. Um, or believe what you believe, but you don't even have so much that today because it's so it's so bad. Understand, there are fewer and fewer reporters actually going out and doing reporting, investigative journalism. But even at that, though, it's it's rather awful, and the paid papers too. It's really the same topics. They're like fillers. Like what can we put in today? What are the safe topics? Because everything is so volatile now with with what you can say, what you can't say, or or although have their instant instant it's like cup of soup. It's like, it's like these instant mixes for food or whatever. Um very instant foodstuffs or or soups or whatever. And uh, it's like instant news, you know. And instant instant uh, protests for for saying the wrong thing or putting the wrong word in or whatever, that, that it, what a what a weapon they've turned this into, isn't it? This, this you can't say this, you can't think that, you can't uh, you can't even logically discuss something anymore. Can't do it because everything's been weaponized very carefully, and the groups involved to be instant uh, reactionaries <laughs> to anything said about anything, whatever it happens to be, um, are all self-prepared and so. And I guess they, they, they get tipped off immediately, probably automatically. By algorithmic systems and built into the into the network systems, they immediately pick up on what it's uh, it's rather awful, isn't it? This this hell of uh, which is not sci-fi anymore. It's pretty well here. All the stuff that the, we were warned about by even Aldous Huxley, I should say. Aldous Huxley did give out warnings, even though he was for the depopulation agenda, etc., etc. But he did, did give out warnings, careful warnings. And he did believe that we go into the system of uh, Brave New World. It'd be done so slickly, step by step, you, you, you simply flow into it through maybe a 50-year, 70-year period. And the children brought up into anything, any kind of system will, will think it's normal. Any kind of system, and of course uh, you have the coercive side mix of, of uh, George Orwell's 1984 mixed with it. I always knew they would use both systems together for a while, until they could really, really 
bring in the cyborg technique where you, you'd have... Remember, cyborgs were meant for total control. That was the purpose of making cyborgs, total control over the human. And we're pretty well here, really. Eh? Not pessim- It's not pessimism for me. It's just the way that it is. And I think if you can escape this life at the end... <laughs> And actually, without um, losing your, your 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 mind, and you have some principles left, hopefully, you know that doesn't mean you're better or anybody. Else. It means you've you've at least you haven't been so damaged, perhaps, uh, by the weaponized system you're living under, and uh, and you haven't given up, and you haven't given in, and you haven't succumbed to the indoctrination to, until you're like a a parrot, just parrot and all the, the PC stuff you're supposed to, then I think you've you've done an awfully good job at surviving it all. That's very important. The old saying, to fear not, I think it was in Christianity, they, they actually said it, but it's much older in, in some ways too. Don't fear those who can kill uh, the body, but fear, fear he who can kill the body and the soul. Basically, you know, that's what it is, isn't it? That's what it is. In a strange system of legalities, you have to voluntarily give up that part of yourself. And again, they call it the ghost in the machine, too. The thing that makes you you, that makes you tick. They want to destroy it, to control and rule you. Quite openly, by the way. And the, the transhumanist movement and elitism that rules all. They always wanted to be gods, didn't they? But then again, the, the brotherhood that actually, the whole point of the brotherhood that's very old, very old, was that man becomes God, you see, if you're an, a, a true adept, that's the whole idea. That was always the way. That's also in the New Testament, by the way. Does not your your works, your writings, in other words, your works, does not your, your teachings say that you are God's? It's amazing how the pastors not just skip over that. Though a lot of them are Freemasons and they, they've got a lower form of the same thing, mind you. But yeah, that was the whole idea, isn't it? Your gods. And when people become gods, believe you me, you'll have hell to pay, literally, on this planet Earth. Anyway, not to be glum and so on, uh, just thoughts and so on, better than uh, reading pathetic news articles which are not news articles at all from myself Alan Watchman here at Canada it's good night may your God or your God's go with you